Uh, today we are wrapping up this series that we've been calling Game Plan. It's a study through the New Testament book of the Bible called Philippians. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, if you want to go ahead and grab one, we're going to be in the last chapter today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones that we give away. There's some that are under these seats in, your, uh, in here. You can grab one. And I want to tell you this, that if you don't have a good readable version of the Bible of your own, uh, feel free to take one of these home with you. We want it to be a gift for you. Um, As we've been going through this book of Philippians, what we're learning is that the bigger theme of the whole book is basically the idea that God's game plan for our life is that we know Jesus. Last week, uh, we we kind of stated this, and maybe you can finish this sentence for me, that it's not what you know, but who you know. And Paul, the author of our book, says, I want to know Christ. And so knowing Jesus, that's the game plan. And so whether it's this filter that we run our lives through, like we talked about in week one, or in week two, it's the idea of this mindset of humility, or whether like it it is last week where it was, you know, not just trying to check off a bunch of things about religion, but really getting to know who God is. The game plan that will get us through all of our our life is knowing Christ, knowing Jesus. And um, so if you're just joining us this week, let me just catch you up just a little bit about what Philippians is. It's a, a book in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last third of our Bibles our modern Bibles, and it was originally written as a letter by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians living in the Greek city of Philippi. Okay, so this is, we're reading a personal letter from this guy Paul to his friends in Philippi, and they're really good friends of his. I mean, he really cares about them. He lived with them for a long time and kept corresponding with them. And so we're going to pick up today right where we left off last week. Last week we were in chapter 3, and in chapter 3, Paul closed with this idea. He talked about the amazing power that there is knowing that if you're a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. Now think about this. Being a citizen of heaven is huge if you can know Christ because Christ is the king of, of all creation. He's the king of God's kingdom on earth. He's the king of heaven and earth. Knowing the ruler, the most high supreme ruler of the kingdom of heaven is huge. And you're invited into citizenship in that kingdom. That's kind of where we left, left off last week. And so as we cross into chapter 4, Paul steps into this next section, and he starts with the word therefore. And so when you see the word therefore uh, anywhere when you're reading, but also in the Bible, what it's saying is, look, ba- based on everything you've just heard, based on all these first three chapters, therefore this. Let's pick it up. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Did you see how close he feels to these guys? I mean, I love you. This is a personal letter. Don't forget. He says, therefore, uh, s- since you who I love, my joy and my crown, he says this, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. It's that phrase, stand firm. In fact, say it with me. Say, stand firm. All right, lock that into your brain because that's a huge concept. Paul says it several times in his different writings in the Bible. Stand firm. And so that's where we begin today. I love this phrase, stand firm, because uh, it implies more than just, it's not just just some uh, random instruction. It implies something. If I tell you to stand firm, it implies that I might know something that you need to know. Like, hold on. Hang on. Like, something's about to happen. Stand firm. My, uh, my family loves to boat. Uh, I don't have a boat. It'd be awesome. But um, I, I like my dad to spend money on gas for his boat. So he'll come down and uh, we'll, we'll put in on the river. We'll put in the intercoastal or we'll go up to his place. They've got reservoirs and lakes up there. And we love to boat. And, and so whether it's, you know, uh, our kids will jump in the tubes and we'll like drag them behind and see if we can throw them off. You know how you do. Or the adults will grab on the skis and we're like, yeah, killing it, pretending like we're professional skiers, whatever. But my dad's favorite thing to do is just to ride, man. He like, man, how quickly can I 
burn up his gas. Like that's his plan because he just loves it. You know, the wind in his hair, and it's just, it feels so free. So when you're riding in a boat, there's a, there's a principle at work. There's science happening, uh, and, and you, you know this. Most of you have been in and around the water, and we live in Wilmington. But if you don't, uh, a boat creates a trail behind it, a, a cresting wave that continues. And it's splitting the water, and we call that what? The wake. It's the wake of the boat. It's this, this ever-moving wave of water. Now, here's the thing. You've got you to understand this. The wake is a natural part of boating. It happens. Now, the wake causes disturbance in the water, and you've got a plan for that. Lock that idea in. Wake is a natural part of boating, so you've got a plan for it. So we plan for it, okay? So, like, there's places called no-wake zones. These are generally, like, some sort of port area where other boats are tied up. And so the no-wake zone is, hey, slow down because we don't want to jostle these boats around too much. It also will help you save $5 billion from ruining someone else's yacht, you know? It's like, let's just be careful. It's like, slow down, wake. Wakes are a natural part of boating, so you plan for it. In my family, we've got a little plan. Uh, we, we ride with the family. You look out for the wakes of other boats, right? You ever hit one of those things and you weren't expecting it? <laughs> it's like getting punched in the chest. It's like jumping off this huge ramp, except it's not anywhere near as fun as that sounds. And so you generally try to afford, avoid hitting another boat's wake. And so we have a courtesy we do in our family, and you might and yours too. And we're like, wake! Right, you done that? Like you just, you're in the boat, there's a wake coming, you're like, hey, wake! And that's for the person that's not really watching the water, maybe they're eating a snack or they're talking, and it just lets them know, hey, hold on to something. It also might mean, dad, slow down, like it's for real. But wake, right? And everybody just, you hold on. Stand firm. Stand firm. I don't know why, but the idea of yelling wake has always really resonated for me when I see Paul say stand firm. He says it here, he says it in Ephesians, and and there's just places where I feel like when when you get a warning from from a a mentor, a godly person, they say, hey, look out for this. I feel like there's like really a lot of wisdom in listening. So often we don't. And Paul says, stand firm. Wake. Because waves are a normal part of life. But you got to plan for it. you got to know what you're going to do when the waves hit. Of course, we don't know exactly what's ahead. Those details come as they come. Right? That's just when you find out. But as he's talking to his friends, those he loves, his joy and his crown, he calls them. Paul says, wake, stand firm. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. And so that phrase, stand firm, it can be summarized like this. You hang in there, grab onto something. As life happens, hold on to something. And what he's taught, remember, he says, therefore. So what he's been teaching for the whole last three chapters of this letter, he is, hold on to Jesus. Stand firm, hold on to Jesus. In two weeks, we're actually starting a new teaching series, and it's going to be called Stand, a God Chaser Story. Uh, at our church, we want to be we, we want to be three things. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agents. If we're God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agents, I think that's the profile of what it means to live in the light of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the profile of a God-chaser in the Bible, a guy named Daniel from the Old Testament. So we're going to be taking several looks at his life. This is a guy who got hit by wave after wave after wave in his life, yet was able to stand firm. So we'll look at that. I hope that you can look forward to that. Maybe if, you're, if you read your Bible, you can start reading through the book of Daniel. Uh, that'll be the week after Compassion Sunday. The question I want to ask this morning, though, is what do you hold on to when the waves hit? Like, what's your thing? What's that seat that you grab onto? What is that railing? Maybe that's what brought you here today. 
Because you're like, I don't know. And you know, church, maybe? Like, let's try church. Let's go. I got a friend that goes to church. Hey, can I come to church with you? Or maybe your friend invited you. I want you to know that this is your first time here. I'm so glad that you're here. And you don't have to expect to leave here having everything figured out because none of us have yet. But I think one thing that we've learned is this place can be an anchor. It can be a place where we can learn what it means to hold firm and to hold on to Jesus. So but let's just keep reading on, though, in, uh, in verse 2. It's interesting because he says, my dear friends, those who I love, my joy, my crown. We're going to meet a few of those people by name. This is verse 2. He said, I plead with Udiah. I plead with Sinteki. Uh, if you happen to be with child right now, do them a favor. Don't name either of the, these names, Udiah or Sinteki. Uh, but they're the names of people. I plead with Udiah. I plead with Sinteki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've been contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. All right, like if you just read that and you're like, okay, where's this going? Um, I got to tell you the truth. When I'm reading some of Paul's writings, I get into little sections like this. And he talks about a bunch of people that I have no idea who they are. We have no context for where they're coming from. We know nothing about them. If you want to go home and check out a book and find out more about these people, you won't find it. This this is a section of the Bible that I would often skip over when I'm reading myself. Like, eh, 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 okay, Udias and Techie. Okay, what is this about? And then I'll get to the next section. But the reason I share this today is, is actually very practical. It's really important for us to remember that the Bible was written to real people in this real world with real issues. And so as Paul writes to these people, how cool is it that their names end up in the Bible, right? And apparently these two, I think these are two ladies, and they're having some sort of quarrel and Paul's like listen you know I've been talking about anchoring yourself in Christ and so listen can you two please act like grown-ups and then he brings in Clement and Clement's like why are you bringing me into this and so I don't even know I don't even know much more about their story but I want to at least point them out because they get a cameo in the Bible how cool would that be if if your name got in the Bible so there they go but then we move on to verse four okay and when we get to verse four Paul lets the rubber hit the road and he gives us some practical pieces of a real game plan for standing firm in verse four he starts like this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice. Rejoice. I don't think I've mentioned this yet in our series, but one of the biggest themes throughout the whole book of Philippians is the theme of joy. Paul uses a, some form of the word joy, joy or rejoice uh, something like 14 times in the book of Philippians. And so when you read this book, if you weren't really paying close attention and you were just reading through the book of Philippians, you might be like, man, Paul was a really happy guy. Things must have been really going well for Paul. I mean, he mentions joy. He even says that these people are his joy and his crown. I was like, man, he must have been a holly jolly happy guy. Um, what's crazy is that couldn't be further from the truth in what was actually happening in Paul's life. If you remember all the way from week one when we talked about this, Paul wrote this letter from prison. He was in chains for his faith. He was actually experiencing persecution uh, in a way for the ways that he was teaching and living his life. Paul wasn't living in a happy-go-lucky place in his life. He was actually in a place of being held down. And so I'm looking at that going, Paul, you sure you wrote the right words? Because I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time finding joy in prison, chained up. I myself have not been in a hardcore prison. I've got a story about one time when I got arrested in college. Uh, I'll tell you that later. It was, it was a big misunderstanding. Um, but <laughs> some of y'all know, you're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure it was a misunderstanding. Um, but I'm going to try to relate to Paul here. So stick with me, okay? I'm dead serious. I've never been to serious prison, but sometimes it's hard to say this out loud. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, okay? 
It's so, so yeah, like people are like, boo, yay, like whatever. It's polarizing, but stick with me, okay? As a Dallas Cowboys fan, right now, things are looking pretty good. I just got to say. Okay, we're five and one. Dak for Prescott, Sedent. I love Dak Prescott, and like he's our quarterback right now. He's killing it. It's really good. So right now, it's easy for me to be like, hey, rejoice. Rejoice in football season. Things are good, right? Things are awesome. Uh, and, and, and right now, like if you're an Indians fan, the Indians, the baseball team, like, they're, they're like up, uh, is, it, is it up three games to one right now in the World Series? By the way, last week I said that Cal Ripken won the Super Bowl. I know that's not true. That was a misspeak. Okay, some of you called me out after church. Like, I know, I know he didn't play football. He might have gone to the Super Bowl. I don't know. He's pretty rich. Um, so the Indians, they're up three games to one in the World Series. These guys are like, rejoice, yeah? Break out, break out the champagne. Make a big mess. Rejoice, rejoice. And so when I hear Paul write, rejoice in the Lord always, I'm thinking like, things must have been really good. But we see... He was in jail, so probably not so much. Last year, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, our quarterback, Tony Romo, broke his collarbone twice in the same season. I sit back and go, I wasn't finding much joy in that. Like, some of y'all thought it was real funny, right? <laughs> but nah, it's, football's a game. It doesn't matter. But in real life, you get it. Like, it's hard to find joy when times are tough. So what is it about Paul, when he's in this situation, he's like, rejoice. And he, and he doesn't just, he does this redundant thing, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. I'm like, Paul, you wrote this. Like, people, no one's listening to you. You're writing this down, but he wrote, he wrote down, I will say it again, rejoice. I think there's something that Paul understands about Jesus that he's been teaching us for the whole rest of the book. He says, rejoice always, and he says it twice, Always. Always is a tricky word because always, it's, all, it's always, it's typically used as an exaggeration. Nothing really happens always, does it? I mean, not, not most things. I might say, we always go to that restaurant. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, we, we, sometimes we leave the restaurant, right? We don't always just stay there, you know, and you meet someone, you're like, I will always love you. But then you were in the seventh grade, and so you know that wasn't true, right? And so always, we use it as an exaggeration, and I think we get the idea what we mean. We're like, I, I really mean this. But, but Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Because I think there's something that Paul understands about Jesus that he really wants us to learn. And it's this. That we understand that when it comes to always, we imply that there are limits to our always. But when it comes to God, there are no limits to his ability to be trusted. Paul says, listen, you, you can always, always rejoice in the Lord because there are no limits in his ability to be trusted stand firm grab onto something that's solid wake the waves are coming when God's speaking to his people in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 3 verse 16 he says this and this was, this was thousands of years before he says be strong and courageous don't be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That word never is a lot like the word always, isn't it? It says the same thing, opposite ends of the spectrum. We use it as an exaggeration. I would never do that. We'll never say never. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you because there's no limit to God's ability to be trusted. God is always available if we seek him. And if you're not sure about that today, I just want to invite you to stick around with our little family for a little bit longer.
Maybe you're in a place of seeking and you're just like, no, I don't know, man. I look at the world and I'm not sure that God is always there. And the only thing that I can tell you is from my own experience is that he keeps on showing up for me. And the people that I know are there seeking, seeking him with their life, he keeps on showing up for them. And so Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Listen, the Lord is near. In the New Testament, when you see the word Lord, they're talking about Jesus there. And the reason we can rejoice always is because the Lord is near. It's that child who's walking in the dark and is scared but reaches up to grab their parent's hand and suddenly they're not scared anymore because mom's near, dad's near. God says, I'm here. I'm always here. I will never leave you. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, comes into the lives of people who give their life to Jesus. And it's, it's amazing what he does. He, he, is, he is really the unsung hero of what God does. You know one of the nicknames for God's Holy Spirit is the comforter? Guys, like, like you, you, might not, you might not be able to like, tangibly touch something right now. You might not be able to like, see with your eyes what God can do in this. But I can tell you in my own experience, and I hope that you can see it for yourself in your life, that even his spirit comes to soothe my soul and to give me peace. You can rejoice in the Lord no matter what. <coughs> there are billions of people throughout history who have found this to be true. And I hope that it's something that you can find true in your life every day. But learning to love God as a lifestyle is not easy. I mean, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's the hard part. I think it begins with us starting to learn to trust him with the small things, the day-by-day things. None of us would uh, walk into the gym on day one after never having exercised in our life and be like, you know what, I'm going to bench press 300 pounds today. 26 times I'm going to bench press 300 pounds. No, you're not going to do that. It's just not going to happen. But you know where you could start? Five push-ups in your living room, right? You start small. And trusting God starts the same way. Trusting him with the small things, trusting him with the little day-by-day tasks. And so uh, Paul goes in now into verse 6, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you some practical uh, uh, rubber meets the road stuff for this rejoicing in the Lord thing. In verse 6, he says this. So don't be anxious about anything. I got to pause there, and I just got to tell you this again, because anxiety, worry is like the epidemic of our world. Listen to what Paul says. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And he's going to qualify, he's going to give us some reasons. But instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. At my house, um, people are always bringing me broken stuff at my house. Like, my kids are always walking up like, this is broke. <laughs> like, I got to get crazy. So baby dolls, missing eyeballs and arms and, uh, and, you know, all kinds of just crazy toys that are broken. And, 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 and they're like, here, fix it, fix it, fix it. This week, my son brought me a, a baseball mitt and it was missing the, the webbing between the two, two of the fingers. And they're like, just fix it. And, and, and my kids believe I can fix anything, probably because that's what I've told them. I'm like, I can fix anything. So for some reason, they believe that. Here's the thing. They bring it to me because they know and they believe that I have the tools and the, know, the, the, uh, the wherewithal and the knowledge to, to try to fix something. It's their trust in me. They bring it to me because they believe I can fix it. I understand, though, that I can't really fix everything. There are tasks that I just, I just won't take on. I've got a 20-year-old Jeep Grand Cherokee. And though I can try to fix a lot of it, a lot of it's outside of my knowledge. And so I take it to my mechanic, Tim. Why? Because he's got the knowledge and the ability and the tools to fix it. When something's broken, you've got to take it to the person that knows how to fix it. And, there, and there's something in this when it comes to what Paul's saying. He says, 
in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, listen, take, take your request to the only one who can deal with it. The only thing that, the only person that's got the power, the knowledge, the ability, the tools, the time, and the desire to fix this for you. God wants to be in our life. And he wants us to bring those things to him. So often I'm tempted to treat the problems of my life like I treated my son's baseball mitt this week. <laughs> um, I'm not a leather worker. I don't know, you might have thought that about me. I'm totally not, okay? Um, I'm not a leather worker, so he brings me his baseball glove. I'm like, I don't know, I need flathead screwdriver, needle nose pliers. I'm like, like if you took it to a leather shop, I'm sure they'd have some more sophisticated tools for that. Maybe not, maybe like actually we use needle nose pliers. I don't know, but I don't know. That's the the point, I don't know. And and, and when it comes to the bigger problems in my life, like I'm always pulling out the the needle nose pliers. Let me fix this, I can fix this, I can fix this. I just gotta try harder, work harder, think more, be smarter, spend more money, ask the right people. And I feel like God is telling us in this like, stop. Put the pliers down. Could you just bring that to me instead? I can fix this. I know how you work. I know how you were designed. And I know how this world was meant to play out. You can't fix this, but I can. And maybe that's been you. Maybe, maybe when something comes in your life, I'm just going to guess. You crack up in your toolbox. And you reach in and you pull out whatever it is that's worked before. Or gotten you close. And you pull out the addiction. Or you pull out the anger. You, you, you pull out the crazy rage monster that breaks out when things aren't going wrong and you just get all ticked off at everybody. You pull out that disrespectful attitude to your parents or to your spouse. You pull out that know-it-all thing or you, or you pull out that ability to just kind of sweep it under the rug, just pretend like it's not there. But our toolbox is limited and we're not able to fix some of these things and God says, listen, bring it to me. And the way that we manage so much of this is through our worry, through our stress, through our anxiety. How many medications can we buy for stress and anxiety today? Can't even fix that. Jesus is talking about our anxiety and our stress one day in Matthew chapter 6. He says, would you look at the birds of the air? They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they, are those birds not much more valuable than you? Can, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Waves swell. Life gets crazy. It is a natural part of life. And one of the biggest parts of the game plan has got to be, and you can quote me on this, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't stress out. Don't give up. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God because he can help and he wants to help. And when we do that, look at verse 7. We're going to move along in our passage here. In verse 7, this is the the result. This is the result of trusting God. He says, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard uh, it's a really cool Greek word. This, this was originally written in Greek, and it's a military term, and it's, it's kind of like this idea of a soldier standing guard. And so he says, if you will lay down these worries before God, the peace of God, this peace that will blow your mind, it transcends your understanding. Translation, okay, that that's transcends understanding. 
The peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. He stands there holding vigil over your life saying, I'm not going to let this in. I'm going to give you peace. It's one thing for me to just say this, and sometimes, I'm, I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like, man, I'm just saying this. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that I'm being as truthful as I possibly can about what God's actually doing in my life. And so I want to tell you, it's been about two weeks now, but a few weeks ago, I was dealing with something. You can replace it with your something, okay, fill in the blank. And it was heavy. It was big. And it was stressing the heck out of me. I was waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning worried about it. I was just like laying in bed like, okay, what can I do different? What can I do? How can I fix this? Who can I talk to, right? You done that? And like I'm thinking about during the day, it's affecting the way I'm treating my family. It's going on in the back. And the whole time I'm like, I just got to gotta work this out. It's fine. I got to fix this. I got to fix this. I got to fix this. And then it hit me. It was 5.30 one morning. I woke up. Uh, it was about two weeks ago. And I was like, I can't, I can't fix this. I need to get up and pray. And I, just so you know, so you don't think I'm like some holier-than-thou monk, like I'm not up at 5.30 praying most days. Most days I'm like, 5.30, what? <laughs> no, I thought 5.30 only come in the evenings. <laughs> so, like, so, but I, I'm like, okay, I got to get up. And I prayed. And, I, and I, I laid it all down. I was like, I can't go back to sleep. I haven't gone back to sleep the last week. So and I just pray. I'm like, God, just help me to let go of this. Help me to give this to you. And then I open my Bible. And God does this amazing things when we read his word. He shows us exactly what we need to see. And so I, by myself, like already I was reading through the book of Mark. And uh, again, transparency. I was like two weeks behind on my reading. And so I opened up like, where was I? Oh, chapter 6. So I start reading. And you can look at it. Chapter 6, um, Paul, uh, Paul, Jesus is in this setting where he does a miracle. Okay, And he, he, uh, there's these thousands of people and they're all hungry. And they don't have any food. And he takes the, the little bit of bread and fish that someone brings to him. And he multiplies that fish so much that he feeds all the people. And then there's leftovers. If you haven't heard that story, it's amazing. Read it. So that's the story. I read that. I'm like, okay, cool. God multiplies fish. That's fantastic. The next little section, the disciples have left from that space, and they're in a storm, like literally, like they're in a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and it's shaking the boat, and they're terrified. And Mark, the writer of the book, he interjects this little thought that kicked me in the teeth. This is the thought he interjects. He says, because they had forgotten the miracle of the bread. They had just been when Jesus, when he delivered thousands of people from hunger, just a few, I don't know if it was hours later. Mark is hard to tell how long it is between events. But it's like the next thing that he tells the story about, and he says, they had forgotten the miracle of the bread. And I was like, oh, God, how many times have you bailed me out? How many times have you shown me that you're here for me? How many times, how many times? And Mark, 2,000 years ago, wrote down, Chris, did you forget the miracle of the bread? I don't want to forget the miracle of the bread. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I got to be honest, right in that moment, I felt a burden lifted off of my chest. If you've ever, I, I deal with anxiety like it's one of my things I deal with. And if you ever have had that, like there's this weight right here. Some of you are like, yep. <laughs> it was like, <sighs> I felt it physically. And then for the last two weeks, I've been able to think clearly, and God's like, yeah, there are things that you need to do in this situation. You need to do that. Okay, so you do that. But the rest of it, I got you. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's nice to see that the disciples struggled with this. It's nice to see that they forgot the miracle of the bread. But here's the thing, guys. I don't want us to forget the miracle of the bread. And sometimes it takes us to go on a little history field trip in our mind to be like, man, has God been here before me before? 
And for you, you might not have grown up in a Christian family. You might not have had the experience. And here's the cool thing. You don't have to have that experience in your own life to see the miracle of the bread. Because you can look around and you can, you can hear my story, but I'm not the only one. If we took the time to go around the room, like, who's, who's got a bread story? Who's got a bread story? People would be like, oh, yeah. And some of you would be like, yeah, i got to tell this story, but I don't want to, right? Like, the stories are here. And so what I want to encourage you to do if you're still figuring this out is try to find yourself in the presence of someone who has seen God work. Ask him, what was it like? And how did you get that at that point? Paul says, stand firm. Waves, wake, storms, worries, whatever you want to call them, like they're a natural part of life. So we got to plan for it. And the way you plan for it is you decide in advance, where am I going to take this? How am I going to deal with this? As I close up chapter four, and really the book of Philippians for us, though if you haven't read Philippians, I encourage you to go back and read the whole thing now. Um, it's a great book. We get to verse 12. If you're reading along, you're going to have to fast forward just a few verses. We get to verse 12. Paul lays down probably one of his most quoted verses. I'd also like to say probably one of his most misquoted verses, but we're going to try to hit it in context here this morning. And it's right in this section where Paul says this. He's encouraging his friends to stand firm. And in verse 12 and 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Go back and read Paul's story. He ain't lying. (laughs) He says, I've learned the secret to being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I got it. I found the secret to contentment. Contentment sounds too good to be true. It's like we, we can't find it. It's over there with Loch Ness Monster and like, uh, I don't know, Tupac. Like we can't, he's here. People say they found it, but I don't know where it is because I can't find contentment. Paul says, I found the secret to contentment. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's all about Jesus. That's the game plan. And it doesn't fail. You look back through the whole book of Philippians, the game plan is Jesus every step of the way. And we've kind of packaged it differently throughout the series because there's, like, Jesus is kind of vague. And you're like, okay, great, Jesus. So what? Like, I just need to, what? And so we, we need to find the more specific ways. And that's why we've been unpacking this book. But when it comes right down to it, he's the source. He's the life giver. He's the one who shines light into darkness and makes things whole. The Lord is near, guys. He's near. And if you're a Christian this morning, you've said with your mouth that you want to live for Jesus. You've, you've been obedient to him in baptism. You've risen to new life, and you've, you've been trying to live this thing. I want to tell you something. Good news, guys. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. What are you dealing with? What wake are you dealing with? Stand firm. Give it to him. Pray. Talk to friends about it. Uh, there might be some of us in the room this morning who have not accepted Jesus. You're still in this place like, I'm not sure that I want to be a part of this funny little cult. I'm not, I don't know. Like, I don't understand Christianity. I don't understand it all, but I came today. Or maybe I'm back for the 10th time now because there's something about what's happening here that I think is true. I want to tell you some good news too. The Lord is near. It's the same good news. He's not any farther away from you than he is from anybody else. And he's offering himself to you. Maybe today could be your day. And you can say, you know what? I believe that. I've heard enough. I've seen enough. I believe that. If you want to accept Jesus for the first time, 
come talk to me after church. That's fine. We can talk about it. If you saw one of the people on stage up here doing the band thing, you could talk to any of them. Maybe you came with a friend. Talk to them. Talk to somebody. Don't leave today without saying, I'm ready to become a Christian because today could be your day. And we could, we could work out getting you baptized and teaching you some stuff and getting you plugged into understanding the Bible more, like all that. But stand firm. The Lord is near. Don't give up. And you might be in the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Like, I'm just, I'm here. I really came to pick on church today. Like, honestly, I'm not sure. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Guess what? The Lord is near. He's not any farther away from you than he is from anyone else. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm this way, dear friends. Let's pray. God, thanks. Just thanks. Uh, too often I'm a dog. Um, and you, every time, remind me that you created me to experience your love. Too often those of us in this room, we doubt you. But you stick right by you say, hey, don't forget the miracle of the bread. God, help us to be a community of people who seeks your love, that shines your light. Tells people in this city that you are near. You've never left us or forsaken us. Thank you so much for this family that we gather with each week. And keep us safe until we meet again. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.